invite you to 2 Peter this morning, verses 10 through 16. And I have wrestled with how do we introduce this because this is, uh, this is a portrait that you just rather not see. Does that make sense? Maybe you've seen pictures and artwork and you just wish, and you can't unsee some things, right? Uh, not that we want to unsee this because this is scripture, but this is not a flattering portrait. At the same time, this is, I remember years ago, going in for some medical test, some scan of something, of my heart it must have been, and I remember saying to the nurse as she was heading out the door, I said, well, you can scan my heart, but you're never going to see what's really in there. And she goes, <laughs> and she walked out the door. And I sat there, and uh, pretty soon she stuck her head back in. What did you mean by that? I said, well, since you asked, Book of Jeremiah says, and shared some scripture with her. She goes, oh, and she left. But the thing is, this passage of scripture, if you will, dissects these false teachers and exposes what they really are. I don't know if you ever had the, the privilege in high school, our science teacher thought it would be really helpful for human anatomy <clears throat> to dissect cats. And so, anyway, we is better than a, some corpse probably or cadaver from the, from the funeral home. But, we dissected cats, and I've never seen the inside of a cat before, and once you've done that and peeled it all apart and done all those things, it's, it's interesting, but you never look at another cat the same way. Peter, by the Spirit of God, is going to dissect these false teachers in a way that you're never going to look at another false teacher again. But what it does is it exposes for us those things that we don't normally see when we look at false teachers. When we look at false teachers, we see the glitz and the glitter, we see the, the neon lights, we see the uh, several thousand dollar suits and the private jets and the Rolls Royce vehicles and, and all of this, but we don't see what they really are. And what Peter does in chapter 2, verse 10 through 16, is he peels back that veneer and he says, this is what they're really like. And it's not pretty. So, can we, three things, essentially, that we want to look at this morning. First of all, in verses 10 and 11, we want to see their arrogant insolence. And what he's emphasizing here is their attitude which he can discern only by the Spirit of God. You and I cannot discern other people's attitudes, right? We don't know what they're thinking. Because, unless they tell us, right? As the book of Proverbs says. But he exposes their attitude. And then in verses 12 through 16, he's going to expose their actions. One, actions that are going to happen to them. And then in verses 15 and 16, actions that they do. So, uh, overall, again, we've seen this numerous times already, but just remember the importance of developing Christian character so that we can be aware of the false teachers. 
If you don't develop that Godward character in chapter 1, the way it's described for us there, and add those things that need to be added to faith, you're going to fall for the false teachers in chapter 2. And that's why cults and false religions, false teachers around the globe go after people who profess to be Christians because they know they don't know their Bible and they're not developing Godward character. They're susceptible, they're gullible. And they go after them. So, if we can, first of all, their arrogant insolence. First of all, he says, and, and you notice the verse is divided in many translations in two parts, and we finished up with they despise authority last time. So first of all, it says they're daring. The idea here is of a, of a careless recklessness. They're, they're just, they don't care the consequences. They're, they're, it's just a reckless abandon. Secondly, he says they are self-willed. They're, everything about them is self-oriented. I was reading a book the other day by a, a famous professing Christian guy and kept reading and thinking, okay, we'll finally get to something of substance, but most of the first couple chapters was filled with first-person pronouns. Me, myself, and I. And it's like, well, I don't really care so much about you. I want to know what the Word of God says. But we, we, false teachers are self-oriented. Thirdly, they're contemptuous. They do not tremble when they blaspheme the glorious ones. They, they speak humiliating insults against these glorious ones. And he says in verse 11 that even the angels know better. Right? The angels are superior in many ways. And they know better, he says, whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a reviling judgment against those before the Lord. One of the best things you can learn to do is keep your mouth shut. Right? And the false teachers don't do that. So there's an arrogance. Life revolves around them. And listen to their teaching. Listen to them as they speak. And it's always a self-oriented, arrogant mindset. Which leads us, secondly, to this sad truth in many ways, is that they, though they deny this will ever happen, because the judgment's never going to happen, it's what they say. But God says, yes, it will. And it's going to happen to you, to you false teachers. You see it? Now, in verses 12 through 16 in the, in the Greek New Testament, this is one long verse. I've, I've broken it up into verses 12 through 14 and, and 15 through 16. But here he says they are about to be destroyed. You see that in verse 12. But these... And then if you go down to uh, end of verse 12, also be destroyed. And everything in between is a description of them. They are about to be destroyed. So what are they like? And we see that here, several things. First of all, they're irrational. These like unreasoning animals. Animals. 
Now, some animals seem to have more sense than some people, right? Sometimes. Sometimes we talk about people having horse sense or whatever, but some animals seem to... But animals at the same time cannot reason the way human beings can. It's the ability to reason which is part of the image of God. We can reason from point A to point B to point C, well, we should, from A, B, C to D, or whatever the case may be. We should not merely emote. It is the God-given ability to reason which sets us apart from animals. But he says these, like unreasoning animals, they're irrational. Secondly, they're instinctual. Let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question necessarily, but it's a question you have to think about. Why do dogs bark? Well, the car was running, you know, going by. No, why did the dog bark? It's instinct. It's instinctual for the dog to bark. And he says here, these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed. Michael Green says it very well. They have confused the thrill of animal instinct with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And many times these false teachers will come along and say, the Spirit of God is, well, no, that's instinct. That's not Spirit of God. Because whatever it is you're claiming the Spirit of God is going to tell us usually contradicts the Bible, right, with false teachers. So it's not the Spirit of God. It's your instinct. It's your animal instinct. So they are irrational, they are instinctual, thirdly, they are disrespectful. You see that? Blaspheming where they have no knowledge. But they are ignorant experts. They know, and you don't. But if you just send them 1995 every month, they'll send you the info that you need. And they'll siphon millions of dollars off of people in their ignorance So he says, first of all, what are they like? Secondly, he says, they will suffer unrighteousness. He says in verse 12, they will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering unrighteousness as the wages of their unrighteousness. In other words, they're going to suffer harm because of the harmful things they have done. Now, again, false teachers only like to give you the the pretty picture, right? It's just the good news, your best life now kind of stuff. But their sentence will be carried out in time, in God's time, even if the false teachers deny a future judgment. God is not asking for their permission. God has already determined when that judgment will take place. Now, some say, well, that's not fair. They're nice people. Well, let's see. Why will they suffer? That's what Peter addresses now in verses 13 and 14. You see it? First of all, he says they have an undisciplined luxury. 
They consider it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. When most people are working, these people are out partying. Okay? Reveling. They're, they're going to excess. And they can afford to do that because they've siphoned money off of everybody else. And so they go out and spend it in luxury, undisciplined luxury. They don't even try to hide their sin. They deserve to be able to do what they're doing. They sin all day, every day. So there's undisciplined luxury. Secondly, they pollute congregations. Peter says they are stains and blemishes. Your church is generally considered to be, in in the word of God, to be considered something pure and holy. And yet these false teachers have come in, as Jude says, they've crept in, and they have now stained We recently, by the grace of God, had our basement carpets cleaned, but there there were stains. And those stains needed to be removed. And thankfully, that was taken care of. But these people have become stains and blemishes in an otherwise pure church. Thirdly, they have undisciplined deception Here they are reveling in their deceptions, partying in their deceptions. Fourthly, they are hypocritical. He says, they feast with you. So when the church has a fellowship meal, these people come. One, because it's free food. But two, because they know there are potential people that they can deceive. And so they have no problem coming and sitting with you and going up and getting another uh, helping of whatever, taco salad or whatever, I don't care what it is, but they, they feast with you and they pretend like they're one of us. That's hypocritical. Fifthly, it is they have incessant sin. You see that in verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and unceasing Sin. Literally, adultery is having eyes full of an adulteress. Here, the, the, the word picture is that of every woman they see, they think of her only as a sex partner. These are predators and groomers who are always looking for their next conquest. And Peter says, Beware. This lust that they are consumed with. Lust makes empty promises but never satisfies the soul. These people are unceasing in their sin. And then, number six, they seduce the vulnerable. They entice unstable souls. That's the danger of being unstable in the Christian walk. That's why you need to develop Godward character. Because if you don't, you're going to be unstable. And if you're unstable, you're vulnerable. Number seven, they have a disciplined desire. This is interesting. They have a disciplined desire for more. They have a heart that has been trained 
in greed. The word for training here, we get our English word gymnastics from. And you think of the, the, these gymnasts, men or women, and, and the, the years of discipline they put in to be able to do things that most of us can't even dream of. We've never thought of being able to, if you jump and then you twist and then you do that. I just have a hard enough time getting in and out of a chair. All right, let's just stick with chairs for right now. But they're doing all kinds of things because they've trained themselves to do that. Here are people who have advanced degrees in the unbridled desire for more. They want more. It doesn't matter what it is. And we learn that it's not just the body that can be trained, but the heart. And these people have disciplined their hearts to want more and more and more. Whatever it is, more attention, more money, more clothes, more... Some of us are old enough to remember, what was their name from the Philippines? Imelda Marcos with thousands of shoes. More, more of this, more of that. Number eight, they are under God's curse. He says they are accursed children. Now again, Peter is not being vindictive. He is not making a wish or a prayer. He is making a statement of fact. They are under the curse of God. And unless they repent and turn to Christ, they will remain under God's curse. It's a scary thing. So, Eight characteristics as we have dissected this unpleasant corpse. And lastly, in their arrogance and in their about to be destroyed, lastly, verses 15 and 16, real quickly, he says they have gone astray. Now he's going to say a little bit later on in, in this book that... It's better if they had never known the way of righteousness. Right? So these are people who know what the Word of God says. Doesn't mean they're believers, but they know what it says. They know the, the gospel. They know what Jesus did. They know his perfect life. They know his perfect death, his resurrection, and his ascension. They know those facts. But he says they've gone astray. They've wandered away from the right path. And this is Peter's way of saying there's two ways. It's the right way and the wrong way. This is not a matter of all roads leading to the top of the mountain, which in one sense is true. All roads do lead to God. Just not the way most people think. Right? There's one way to God, one right way to God. All other roads will lead to God as judge. You can come to him as father or you can come to him as judge. Peter says they've gone astray from the right path. And now, how do they go astray? He gives to us, he breaks down what happened in their thinking and in their desires. He says, first of all, they have rejected what is right. They have wandered They reject what is right, forsaking the right way. 
forsaking the right way. In other words, they knew the right way and they said, this is unacceptable to us. Okay? This, is, this is similar to, similar to the Jewish leaders. Uh, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Jesus doesn't fit with their plans and so they reject Christ so they can get what they want. Similar thing here. The false teachers have rejected the right way. It doesn't fit. It's too restraining. It, it, it's not about me. This doesn't make me the focal point. It doesn't let me live the way I want to live. Therefore, this is bad. I'm going to go this way. They have rejected what is right. And sadly, they have, and you always will, when you reject what is right you will embrace the sinful. Those are your options. There's a right way and a wrong way. And if you reject the right way, you embrace the wrong. They have followed the way of Balaam. And you need to know your Old Testament a little bit here. right? Numbers chapter 22 through chapter 24. And so the, Peter describes for us, for his readers, who is, who is Balaam. He is the son of Beor. And he is the one who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He was willing to do anything for a buck. Even selling his soul for a buck. But he received, verse 16, a rebuke for his own lawlessness. So was Balaam merely misguided? No, he was lawless. Peter says so. The Spirit of God says so through Peter. And then perhaps one of the more embarrassing descriptions in the Word of God is the end of verse 16. Balaam is known for what? having his donkey talk to him, right? For a mute donkey speaking out with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. Kenneth Gangle says it this way, false teachers like Balaam have sinned so long and so intensely that their sin has become a form of insanity. It doesn't make any sense, but people still go that way. And we say, well, why would somebody believe that? Why would somebody follow after that? Because it's a form of insanity. We get so used to sin, so used to false teaching, so used to the deception. Well, real quick, four things, excuse me, three things for us to remember. Number one, the lostness of the false teachers is part of the penalty of being self-focused. You cannot live a self-absorbed life and not suffer the consequences. Self is never designed by God to sit on the throne. But we, following Adam and Eve heard somebody say, but it would be a really nice thing to try. And so we try to follow that and we, we think, well, what could be so wrong about being self-focused? Read Second Peter chapter 2. Read Genesis chapter 3. 
The lostness of these false teachers is part of their penalty for being self-focused. Secondly, Douglas Moo says it this way, that false teaching is often revealed in false living. Eventually, it becomes exposed. Now, as, as, as Peter said earlier, they can take their words, their carefully crafted and molded words and, 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 and change definitions and make error look like truth, and yet in the end, they're exposed. False teaching is often revealed in false living. These are people who are partying during the daytime when they should be working. They're out lavish, wasteful lifestyles, self-centered lifestyles. That should say something. That should say something to people who are tempted to follow. And lastly, false teachers will be judged by God. As certainly as God judged the angels and the world in Noah's day and the sinful people of Sodom and Gomorrah. That day is coming. Now, this, uh, this is where as believers we, we have to be careful. We don't want to, to say, well, it's wrong to rejoice in that because God has determined that they will be judged. We should rejoice that God's will is accomplished. At the same time, these are people with eternal souls for whom we should have compassion and long to see them rescued from their sin. So there's a two, we got to look at it at least in a couple of ways, right? But we as believers can can trust, and this is what Second Peter chapter two is, and Caleb referenced it earlier in his introduction to the reading. Verse 4 of chapter 2, If God did not spare angels who sinned, but cast them into the pit and delivered them to chains of darkness, being kept for judgment. And if God did not spare the ancient world. Verse 6, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So if he did those things, who are we to say God will never judge anybody ever again? Okay? God is a consistent God. He is a righteous God. He is a God of justice. And these false teachers have led many professing Christians astray and have tempted and seduced believers into thinking that this false teaching is actually correct and God will judge those who mess with his people. That time will come. So false teachers will be judged by God as certainly as were the angels, the world in Noah's day and the sinful people of Sodom and Gomorrah. You and I We'll wrap up chapter 2 next week, Lord willing. I want to begin in verse 17, and I want to go through verse 22. And it gets, if you will, even more graphic, if we can. And he's going to talk about, at the end of chapter 2, hogs and dogs. Right? You need to look that up and see the illustrations that he uses there. But what he is saying is, you and I as believers, we need to be on guard. God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, right? Chapter 1. 
verses 3 and 4. We need this truth, this absolute truth, true truth. And if we are not careful, if we are not committed to this and dedicate ourselves to this, we may be led astray. We, they seduce vulnerable people. God give us grace not to be vulnerable people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for exposing these false teachers for what they really are. We cannot see clearly. We tend to look through rose-colored glasses at people and say, but they're nice. They're nice people. They're kind. They, they're generous. They're nice. I like drinking coffee with them. And yet you have given us something more accurate than a CAT scan or an MRI or a PET scan. You have revealed the hidden heart as only you can do. You are the knower of hearts. And you have exposed it in all of its ugliness. Father, give us grace to bow before the authority of this diagnosis. Give us grace to be people committed to growing in Christ-like character. Give us grace to be people committed to true truth regardless of the consequences. And we will thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll ask you to stand for our benediction this morning taken from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. It's a paragraph here, so bear with me. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them were myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Here's their benediction. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You are dismissed.